Good morning, Community Church. Welcome back. We're in the second of three weeks of our series entitled Dive In. Last week, we talked about not buying into the lies, and this week, we're talking about how to dive into the Word, and next week, going back to church, diving in. Let me get you started with a memory. For some of you, for others, this will be new information, but how many of you remember a movie from 1968 that's still around today? You can find it, I'm sure, online. It's entitled A Space Odyssey, 2001, A Space Odyssey. It was produced by Stanley Kubrick, and Kubrick had a concept involved in this that was called a monolith. That's a, a structure, a tall, solid structure that appears four different times in the movie. Now, what was the purpose of the structure? Kubrick himself said this was a religious movie without the anthropomorphic concept of God. What does that mean? It means he wasn't dealing with Jesus. He wasn't going to talk about the God that you and I know, but he wanted to show something that indicated people were searching for a, an absolute, something that would always be there, and that's why he had it appear several times. Near the end of the movie, there is a character called Space Child. Kubrick had him coming in space as a baby because this was all about the evolution of mankind, and he had him reaching up toward the monolith, a reminder of Michelangelo's famous painting where God is reaching down to touch Adam and give him life. Kubrick had fashioned this particular movie for that period of history when we were coming out of turmoil and we were in the midst of Vietnam and everything was taking place and people were lost trying to find their way. Kubrick said he had taken many of his ideas from Frederick Nietzsche's work, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which was all about the creation of the superhuman. Well, what's this all about? This is about a society trying to find an absolute, trying to find something they could hold on to that would give them meaning. Six years after that movie came out, I was presented with an absolute, and that was a knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And I came to Christ, not because of the movie, but because I found what everyone else was looking for. We have discovered this ourselves and we know that we know God. How do we know God? We know Him because He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. We have what we refer to as a Christian world and life view. That means that we see the world through the Word. When we read the Word, we understand the world because God is speaking that Word to us and we need to understand what he is saying to us. God is stirring the waters for us. You know, if you're a diver or if you've ever dived off of a board or a cliff, you need the water moving below you in order to judge the distance to that water. And so God is stirring that water of the word so that we can know where we are going and how we are to get there. A famous cliff diver once said, when you stand on the edge of a cliff, you jump to fly, not to fall. We are jumping into the Word, diving into the Word, so that we won't fall, so that we can fly on eagle's wings and learn what God has for us today. 
everything that you and I need to know about faith, about life, about salvation is in the Word of God, and it's there for us. Some of you may be saying right now, well, wait a minute, if I get into the Word, I have this fear that the Word's going to tell me things I cannot do, and it's going to make me do things that I don't want to do. No, that's not true at all. You see, you're after self-pleasure. You're after wanting to please yourself, if that's your attitude. And I remember that. I know how I was, always about me, always wanting to have things go my way. And then when someone introduced me to God, and I'm thinking, well, how can I please God and please myself at the same time? Is that possible? There was an interview between two great theologians back in 2012, John Piper and R.C. Sproul. Piper was asked that very question, is it possible to please God and please yourself at the same time? And Piper said, actually, that's something he struggled with for a good part of his life, even after becoming a Christian early in life. He said, how can I please myself and please God? And through my study of the Word of God, I came to this conclusion, that when I was glorifying God as I was created to do, I found the greatest pleasure I had ever found. He summed it up with these words, the power of superior pleasure. The power of superior pleasure rests in your relationship with God. How do you obtain that kind of relationship? It's found in your knowledge and your study of the Word of God and putting that knowledge to practice, diving into the Word of God. This morning, I want to start off by telling you seven truths. If you've got a, a pen, you need to write it down. You can even write this in your Bible because it's all about your Bible. So you ready to go? There will be scripture references after each one, just the address, and you write those down and then later go home and look them up. We're starting it off by saying this. The Word of God, number one, is from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 that's where the Bible says that God breathed the Word through men into this being, this existence that we now have, and we call it the Bible. Number two, the Word created everything. 2 Peter 3.5 That if anything was created, it was created by the Word of God. Third, the Word sustains all things. Hebrews 3.1 Everything continues to exist because God continues to uphold it. Number four, the Word of God is without error. John 17, 17. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, He tells us that there is no mistake in any of Scripture. The fifth, God's Word lasts forever. 1 Peter 1, 25. Number six, the Word is your weapon. Now it's getting personal. Ephesians 6.17 The Word of God becomes your weapon that you use when you pray in the warfare that we find ourselves in. And lastly, the Word is in you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
then God has placed his spirit in you, and the spirit is the author of the word, so the word is in you. 1 John 2.14. Now, the Apostle Paul, he understood all these principles. Many of them come from him. The disciples understood it. But Paul found it to be true in one of the churches that he had visited. He went to the church at Thessalonica, and there he helped them, and later he wrote two letters to them. And in his first letter to them, I'm going to read just one verse to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. So give you the time right now. You guys open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and follow with me. And if you've got a pen or a marker, make sure you underline what I tell you to. You ready? Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God continually because when you received the word, underline the word received, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, underline accepted, not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you, underline that, who believe. So we've said three things here. Receive the word, accept the word, work the word. That's what it means to dive in. Now let me take those three and pull them apart for you so you have a deeper understanding. The first one is this, to receive the word. It's important that you understand that the word that you're receiving right now the word that you receive when any of us bring it from community church is the word from the Lord through vessels that are being used by Him. Yes, our opinions come in and out of it. Our training is in it. But the word itself is coming forth and penetrating your hearts. It's God speaking through servants. It's not us speaking. Paul said you received, and then he did put that from us, so yes, you're receiving it from us, but what you're receiving is actually coming from God. That's so important to understand. In God's Word, it's, it's so important that we know what we're reading. It's not opinion. It's fact. It's truth. Now, Barna's research group did a study a few years ago and found that half of America has never even read the Bible. And I know many Christians who have not either. He found out that over 40% of millennials said that it was just a book filled with fables and stories. And I'm sure that's not restricted to the millennial mindset. But here's what we have to understand. When you come to community church, you're going to receive the Word of God as it is. You're going to receive it because it's being given to you from God. A famous pastor once in teaching his pastoral students said to them, look, if the message doesn't do something to you during the week, please don't do anything to the people on Sunday. You see, it has to affect those of us who are his servants. And it should be affecting you every day so that when you go out and you meet with people and you're talking to them through your eyes of Scripture, through your world and life view, that it's the Word of God that's rising up in you. Well, how can it come out of you if it has not yet gone into you. It's your responsibility to receive the Word of God. Here are four reasons why. The Word of God 
is superior to all human wisdom. You can take the most intelligent people in the world today or those who have ever lived, compile them all, put their brains together and create one super brain. They don't even come close to the superior wisdom that belongs to God alone. So the Word of God is filled with superior wisdom. Secondly, the Word of God is authoritative. It doesn't need anyone to say, yes, that's true. The Bible says of itself that it's true. That's why people had so much trouble with Jesus. They said, well, he speaks as one with authority. Well, of course he did. He is the Word, the living Word. And he's speaking the same authority through the Scriptures to you and to me. Whatever it says is true. Whatever it says is what it means. Thirdly, it is immutable, unchangeable. The Word never changes. The application can change over time as cultures change, but the Word doesn't change. The Word remains true forever and ever. And lastly, it is complete. The Word of God has everything in it that we need. If a new scripture were found somewhere and someone was able to validate it and say, yes, th this too should be part of the Word of God, it would tell us nothing new because we have everything we need to know. And we need to be receiving it from God the way He wants us to. There's a pastor from the late 1600s by the name of Ebenezer Erskine. And Ebenezer was a great preacher. Once he was visiting a friend who was a preacher, and they had a communion service there, and people attended, and he was there. The next week he was in his own church preaching, and a woman came up to him after the message. She said, Pastor, last week I was over at the other church, and it was just so wonderful. And this week, this week, I just didn't get it. It just didn't work for me. Why do you think that happened? He wisely said, and this is what we say to you, last week you came to hear Jesus. This week you came to hear me. We don't want you coming to hear us. It's not about us. It's about God speaking to you through His Word, through his servants. You know what? I would rather, and I think I can speak for all of us who speak to you, I can speak for them also with this statement. I would rather you email me, text me, call me, stop by to see me and say, this is what God is doing in me as a result of that message, rather than you saying, oh, that was such a good message. Because if it was good, it probably didn't do anything. But if it's done something to you, then God is doing His work. So when you come, receive it as it is. Now, let's move to that second thought, where Paul said, you received it from us as the Word of God, but you accepted that it was the Word of God. So there must be a difference between the two words, received and accepted. Just a subtle difference? No, a big difference. Received is like putting out a welcome mat saying, okay, I'm here, bring it on, just say whatever you want to say, I'll receive it. But accepting means, then I will use my heart, my will, my emotions, and I will turn it over and I will give it serious thought and accept what is being said in my heart as something, God, you want to say to me. You see the difference? It's a significant difference. 
It's the difference between objectivity and subjectivity. To receive is objective, but to accept is subjective. You will give it favorable evaluation when you receive it. The Thessalonians were not interested in human wisdom. They weren't interested in this great elocution that men could bring or those who could persuade others in certain ways through their abilities and tactics of logic. No, they wanted to hear from God. If ever we have been in a period of history where we need to hear from God, it's now. We need to know what he has to say to us because our God is the one who is in control. I remember, and I've said it a few times to many of you, how my life changed when I went from receiving to accepting. In 2001, in a church north of Rochester, Michigan, I sat every Friday and Saturday night for six months listening to the Word of God. At first, I was listening to the pastor. But then I began to change, and I went from receiving what was being said to accepting the fact that what was being said was about me. It was very personal. God was saying, I'm going to take you and put you somewhere that I want you to go, and I'll tell you where that is after you leave where you are. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that sounds too much like Abraham. The name's Wally, not Abraham. But no, he kept pounding it into me, and at the moment that I finally opened my heart, released my will, I said, okay, all right, I hear what you're saying. See, that's accepting. I know it's going to do something in me now. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do whatever it is you want to do with me. Is God speaking to you guys today? Is, is he saying something to you about what he wants you to do for him? Because that's exactly what he's saying to me. Every single day, he's telling me how to live my life. But when you know that, here's what's going to happen. Your ears are going to become more attentive. You're actually going to be like that dog who, who sees something or hears something. There go the ears. You know, you're going to know that God is speaking to you. Not only will your ears be more attentive, but your mind is going to be drawn to faith. Why? Because it is by faith that we're saved. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that faith is going to increase in you. Thirdly, your heart is going to become more revered toward God. You're going to love Him more because you're going to recognize His love for you. And lastly, your will will be bent to His. That's what I want. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do what John Piper said when he said, we are to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. I want to enjoy Him because that will bring me pleasure but I want to do it by glorifying Him, which means I learn how to work the Word after I have accepted it, after I have received it. God wants to transform our character. His desire is to make all of us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. He sent Him for that purpose, that He might redeem us from our sin that he might take away all those lies that you heard about last week and, and put life into us. He has spoken life into us, and he continues to do it because the Word is alive. And every aspect of that Word has something to say to you and to me. Now, here's, here's something to remember, something to write down. Write this down. 
What the Word prescribes, it delivers. What the Word prescribes, it delivers. What does that mean? It means when he said to me, I want you to have more faith, he then started building faith in me by giving me experiences that would build my faith. So he's prescribing that I have more faith, but he's the one who's giving it. He called me to know more about himself, but then he provided that knowledge that I needed to know more about him. So he provided more faith, he provided more knowledge. I had been a stingy person in life because it was all about me, and he changed me into a generous person in life. I had been a profane, unholy person, and in process he is making me more like himself as I am approaching holiness in different areas of my life. Your faith becomes greater and greater, and you become more like Christ as you study the Word. Again, theologian said, if you want to take the air out of a glass, you don't get a vacuum and put it in the glass and try to suck it out. He said, no, you fill it with water and all the air is dispersed. Joyce Meyer said, all God is looking for when you go down in the morning is the same thing that you're looking for, a glass that is clean and empty because he wants to fill it. How does he fill it? He pours into you his Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that come with Him. They go into you. Now you are ready to read the Word because He is the author of the Word. So you're sitting under the author. You're opening the Word of God and you're asking the author, tell me what this means. Tell me how to apply this to my life. And that's, that's the exciting part of it. The deeper your holiness, His holiness, penetrates you, the more you're going to understand your world and life view, the more you're going to know the beauty of having this Word of God available to you. So you've got to dive into the Word. God loves you. He really does. Now let me clear something up right here because I've heard other people talking about this. You say, okay, so the Holy Spirit is in me. How does that help me work things out? I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is alive and real. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is equally God along with the Father and the Son. And that Spirit living in you has the power of God, and He can dispense that power through you. It's not because you're special. It's because He wants to do something in His world. I have seen a blind person receive sight. I have seen a deaf person be able to hear again. I have seen a woman on a mat who had malaria, rise and walk and lose all of the fever in just a matter of seconds. I have seen the lame walk. I've seen it in other places in my walk with him. And I was amazed as you would be because it wasn't normal for me. It wasn't something that I was accustomed to. But what it did was it brought life into me that realized, look, if God calls me to do something, there's nothing impossible to Him. If His Word says I should do it, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dive into that Word. Because that Word paints a pathway for me to follow. And I know it's a path to life. And it's a life that will bring me the kind of pleasure God intended for me. And that's a pleasure 
that worships him, that enjoys him forever. I wish I could see the show of hands right now of those of you who've also experienced all those kinds of things. You've, you've seen God working, and many of you have seen God working. He doesn't want to stop now. We may even be on the verge, on the edge, of some kind of a revival that God is going to bring because God doesn't allow these things to happen without bringing glory and honor to Himself. So get ready. Get ready and read the Word. And then go live it out. I have a friend, his name is Mihai Rachi. He's from Moldova. And back before communism was moved out of Romania and Moldova, Mihai would smuggle Bibles into Romania. People would come and they would leave a box of Bibles near his house and he would pick them up and go to other cities and distribute them. Once he said he was on a train on a way to a city and someone ran into his compartment and said, they're coming now, they're looking at everybody's things. If you've got Bibles or anything, you better throw them out the window. And he did. Well, a few years later, after the wall had come down, after communism had been defeated, Mihai went back and visited many of the cities where he had distributed Bibles. And he came to this city and he gathered with some Christian people and he began to apologize. And I'm sorry, I was never able to get Bibles to you. And one man stood up and said, it didn't matter. He said, I was saved during that period of time by a Bible I found near the railroad track. When God puts his word in someone's hand, you know, he does the work. He put it in Mihai's hands and Mihai worked the word. He distributed the word literally so that someone was saved. A few months ago, prior to COVID-19, my wife and I were able to visit our daughter in Indiana and there we have two grandchildren, and the little two-year-old, who's named Cove, was just beginning to learn his language. He just turned two at the end of January. But he came up to my wife, to his grandmother, and he looked her in the face and he said, Read your Bible, Nani. And her mother said, What did you say? And he said, Read your Bible, Nani. My wife came back and she said, You know what? I think I'm going to start reading more of my Bible. I don't know why, but why would God tell a two-year-old to tell me that? I'm already reading the Bible, but there must be something that God has to say to me in this. Read your Bible, church. Dive into the Word. And let the Word dive into you with its living waters. Let it rise up in you so that it can overflow and the world will get the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in the late 90s, I had the privilege of being involved with a ministry called Outside the Box Ministries. We produced different forms of youth ministry, and it contained a teaching portion and an entertainment portion and a key speaker portion. We worked with Youth for Christ, we worked with uh, Youth Specialties, all sorts of different agencies, and we were ministering to thousands and thousands of kids over the years. The founder of this organization, Raleigh Rickert, decided that he wanted to bring it to the Detroit area. And so in the late 90s, he created something called River Rush. And he wanted some music for this, so we invited a Christian entertainer to be a part of this and asked him if he would write something special for it. 
Now, I was very excited because I had met him several times before, but Stephen Curtis Chapman agreed to come. And I remember he was in his trailer in Detroit near Cobo Arena, and there he was writing a song. And my daughter was sitting in there with him, and he asked her, what do you think about this? She said, Dad, I had no response. How do you respond to Stephen Curtis about what you think of his song? But his song went on to win the Dove Award in 1999. It was a single off of the album Speechless and was called Diving In. Exactly what that program was about, but more so, it's what we're talking about. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, okay? I see them laughing back there, you know. They pay me not to sing. So here's what I am going to do, though. I want to read some of the lyrics to you, and I want you to be thinking seriously about them and apply them to what we've been saying this morning. You ready? Here we go. There is a supernatural power in the mighty river's flow. It can bring the dead to life, and it can fill an empty soul. And give a heart the only thing worth living and worth dying for. Yeah, but we will never know the awesome power of the grace of God until we let ourselves get swept away into this holy flood. So if you take my hand, we'll close our eyes and count to three and take the leap of faith. Come on, let's go. I'm diving in, I'm going deep, in over my head. I want to be caught in the rush, lost in the flow. In over my head I want to go. The river's deep, the river's wide, the river's water is alive. So sink or swim, I'm diving in. Church, it's time to go to the edge. It's time to look at the stirring waters of the Word. And it's time to fly. Because that's what God is calling you to do. So, in the words of that famous two-year-old theologian, read your Bible, church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is a light to our feet and a lamp to our pathway. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us clearly about who you are and who we are. You have loved us. You have forgiven us. You have redeemed us. And you have brought us into a personal relationship that we might now take this word and work it on a daily basis. Lord, this is essential to our being followers of Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, to not buy into the lies, but to buy into the Word. And then teach us, as we move ahead, how this will affect our lives. Lord, we love you. We trust you in this time in our lives. And we look forward to what you're going to do with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.